I'm going to begin reading from Matthew chapter 14, from verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by the boat to a deserted place by himself. When the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, "This is a deserted place." And the hour is already late. Send this multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, "They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat." And they said to him, "We have here only five loaves and two fish." He said, "Bring them here to me." Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve basketsful of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is one of the miracles that our Lord did, which is recorded in four Gospels. You rarely see that some miracle or same story in all the four gospels, but this one is. And he also fed multitude in two different occasions. First one we read in chapter 14 of Matthew. This is the Matthew's record, and of the following chapter we read it in Matthew 15:29, which I'd like to read it for you, from verse 32. He says, "This is 15:32," and now Jesus. Called his disciples to himself and said, "I have compassion on this multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way." Then his disciples said to him, "Where could we get enough bread in this wilderness to fill such a great crowd?" Jesus said to them, "How many loaves do you have?" And they said, "Seven and a few little fish." And the continuation is the same. The interesting thing about when we read the first one in Matthew, it was the disciples' idea. They came to him. They said, "Why don't you send these people away so they can buy some food from the nearest villages?" But the Lord said to them, "You give them something to eat." Right away, He gave the responsibility to them. The second time, which is not that far away from that time, and we read it in the next chapter. Same thing happened. Jesus had a compassion on them, and he says, "I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way." Again, he had a compassion on them, and that, that's what he said. But the reaction of the disciples is kind of odd. They say, well, "How can we feed all these people?" It's like they didn't learn anything from the earlier event. Then he fed five thousand men. And this time there was about four thousand, and of course this is besides the women and children that were present at the time. Of course, the Lord was teaching them something. One of the important side of this story, whatever the story you read in the Bible, there's always two sides to it. The story you read, and there's also the spiritual side of it, which we see from every story that we read. What the Lord wanted them to understand is simply. Where they would get their resources. One of the things、uh, that Matthew says in chapter 15, just before the crowd came and followed him for three days, he says that this was alongside a mountain.
And every time there's a mention of mountain in the Bible, it always points to heavenly fullness. Here's what the Lord wanted them to realize, and this happens to all of us as believers all the time. When we come up to such a thing like this, a great need, let's say, not necessarily in this magnitude, the first reaction from us, just like the disciples, is like, how are we going to do this? Always relying upon our own resources, which is desperately limited when you compare what the Lord was doing. Jesus wanted them to understand this, that in any occasion, you have to reach for the heavenly resources. This is heavenly fullness that comes from the Lord. And reading through the Gospels as we hear the disciples not understanding or not really getting what the Lord was saying, all of that changed after the, his resurrection and Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began the ministry in the same way, reaching to their heavenly sources to minister to the people. One of the things that I want you to see in these two passages that I read is the compassion that the Lord had for these people. He just said, I don't want to send them away, lest they faint along the way. And he always was conscious of the people in need. Of course, when you come to the Gospel of John, he talks about that those loaves of bread was barley. Of course, barley points to the resurrection. And in the Gospel of John, he elevates it to a higher level when the Lord Jesus spoke of them, how God fed them in the wilderness for 40 years with manna. And then he said the statement, I am the living bread. Jews rejected him because how dare he was equaling himself with God. There's the physical side of the story, and there's also the spiritual side of the story. Spiritual side of the story is feeding his own people. When there's a real hunger among his people, the spiritual hunger, and that's where he feeds them. If you see the physical side of the story, of course we are human beings, that's how we were created. We need food, we need nutrition to go on surviving in this world. God cares for that physical side. Our Lord has always been compassionate in that area, but also more important is the spiritual side. And this is how we see in the Bible that God moves when he sees that hunger in his own people and he feeds. Look at these two stories. In both occasions, he wanted to collect all the leftovers. First one, 12 basketful. The second time, seven basketful. Nothing was wasted. This is how the Lord feeds his people in fullness, which comes directly from the fullness from heaven. An important lesson was for the disciples when the occasion rises, such as this, even to this magnitude, that they will become the link between the need and the heavenly resources. Now, one of the things I want you to have in mind is our Lord's compassion for the people. And I will go and read another text from Matthew 19, different context, but I will Put them together while I go on with today's message. This is from Matthew 19. I will read from verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? 
Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. There is no commandment from the Lord to sell our possessions and give it to the poor. This is a particular hurdle that this young ruler had. Jesus, knowing his heart and his mind, he knew what was coming against him following the Lord. It's obvious he was well-versed with the commandments and he was obeying all that. Jesus did not question the fact that he was following all the commandments. But yet he had that problem because he had great possession. This is one of the greatest invitations that you see in the Gospels when he says, go sell your possession, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. He didn't say to many people. In fact, I remember Mark, when narrates this story, he says, Jesus loved this guy. And everything he was trying to do is just get his attention, the importance of following the Lord. But unfortunately, because of his possessions, his great possession, he couldn't do that. Here's the thing. I said, it is not a commandment to sell our possessions and give it all to the poor. But sooner or later, every single one of us will be tested in this direction. I will say it in this way, in the language of Apostle Paul. He said, whatever is gain for me, I counted loss, even refuse, he says, in order to know Christ and be found in him. If this thing is a hurdle for somebody, if it is come against anyone, I'm speaking about the believers, comes against following the Lord, then it is a big problem. But again, he says, go sell all your possession, give it to the poor. You know, I've been listening to the Bible, as I've been sharing a lot in this few months. There's a great deal of scripture in the Old Testament that God moves with compassion for the poor. He says so many things about him. For the widows, for the fatherless, for the sojourner among you. Even when you're gathering your harvest, as you go through sickling the harvest, he says, don't go the second time cleaning every corner. He said, leave it for the poor, for the widow or the fatherless or the sojourners so they can have that for their fill. I mean, every turn, this is not once or twice. Again, I've been sharing this lately so many times. As you go through the Bible, it's fast-paced, as I'm listening to every week. You get to hear the same verses over and over again, and at one point, you realize how many times the Lord says the same thing. And this is the poor, the needy, the widows, the fatherless, or the sojourners, always in the part of God's word in the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament. When you come to the New Testament, Jesus says, give to everybody who asks from you. No questions asked. I know some interrogate what is the need, what are they going to do with the money and so on and so forth. But he doesn't say that. He says, just give to whoever is asking from you. And with that direction, I want to read from Matthew again. This is chapter 6 from verse 1. 
He said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Here's a general rule that Jesus gave us. He says whenever you're doing a charitable work or charitable deed, and this is part of the, his Sermon on the Mount that he spoke, and in this particular section, he's talking about different righteous acts from believers. Like, if you want to pray, don't be like the Pharisees, hypocrites. They pray in the synagogues, all that stuff. But when you do, you go home, go into closet, and your father, when he sees you're praying, he will reward you. So all of these instructions that the Lord gives, in this particular one, he's speaking about charitable deeds, that is, helping the poor, helping the needy, or those who are asking from you. Just last week, my wife and I we were talking to this couple, believers in Christ, very generous in their giving. We know this because they always share with us, not the type that you would announce that this is what we're doing, but we know there's at least four individuals around them that they need monetary help, and this couple are doing it without any questions. I know they're very generous given their condition. They're both very hardworking, but you know, they're givers in this way, and still they're willing to give to anybody else that they need it. During the conversation, you know, I was just listening to them. The husband said, when you give like this, God gives you back ten times. While I was listening to him, I said to myself, where does he get this idea that when you give to the poor, God will give you ten times? The fact is, when you give it to the poor, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1, it says, toss the bread on the waters and it will come back to you. I remember years ago reading this, I said, who in their right mind will toss a loaf of bread on the waters, on the river? You just wash it until it disappears. He says, it will come back to you. Of course, he's not talking about the loaf of bread, but he's talking about charitable deed. To give the loaf of bread or to give to the needy, when you give, he says, he will come back to you. My question is, what is it that it will come back to you? The same loaf of bread, not 10 times more, not even twice more. The Lord said, it will come back to you the same way you gave it. Do you believe that? If you're not convinced, I will read another verse for you. This is from Proverbs 19, verse 17. Write this verse down from Proverbs 19, 17. Put it on your iPhone, in the notes. This is how important this is. It says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. He says here, this is charitable work that the Lord was speaking in Matthew chapter 6. When you give it to the poor, he says you're lending to the Lord, and he will give you back. What is it that he's going to give you back? Ten times? Let's assume you gave $50 to somebody. Let's also assume that you didn't go around announcing, you didn't call the news press, what you gave and to whom you gave it, because Jesus said, do it in secret. Let's assume you didn't do that. If you did, 
the Lord says you already got your reward from the people. This way, when you do it in secret, the Lord will give you back. The Lord will give you dollar for dollar what you gave to the poor. According to this verse, Psalm 89.34, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has come out of my lips. If it came out of the lips of God, if he said something, he says, I will never violate that covenant. I will not break it. I will do exactly what I said. So, you gave $50 to somebody, and God gave you back the $50. At the end, who gave to who? It's a question. God gave it to the poor, right? You got your money. That is, if you believe the Lord is behind what he says, he gave you back the money, so in this process, you're just a middleman. Is that all there is? No. Through that process, the Lord is teaching you to be compassionate and sympathetic with the poor or those who are in need. Being compassionate is one of the virtues of our Lord Jesus. Last week, Sam spoke of conforming to the image of our Lord in the context that he was saying. But today, I don't know any other practical way to be conformed to the image of Christ in this direction. The Lord shows you, teaches you to be compassionate. If the Lord gives to the poor, and I'm the middleman, what's the big deal? What is the process here? The process, the most important side of the story, or what I'm sharing is this, is conforming to the image of Christ. I'm not even thinking about that the Lord gives you back. He said he will do it. I'm not thinking about that. Being conformed to his image is much more important for me than the fact that he's going to give me. He's going to give me because he said he would give me. I mean, there's no question about that. But the important side is you become compassionate along the way. And the more you give, and the more God will make you to give more in this way. And the more you give, the more God could reach those who are in need as you become the middleman. If the Old Testament people followed the Lord in this way, they would not have a single poor among them. Unfortunately, they didn't. In every which way they didn't follow the Lord. Same thing in the New Testament. If every believer follows this, there would not be a poor at least around us and those who know us. We can reach them because God is reaching to them, not us. I had an experience along this line. I know I shared it in past messages. I'm going to share it again because I don't remember what the context it was that I shared it. But it's very appropriate for today's message. In our area, once in a while, I used to go to Trader Joe's to do some groceries and buy some dark chocolate. <laughs> Milk chocolate doesn't do anything to me. So I would come off the freeway, go through this alley, and into the Trader Joe's parking lot. In the bend in the alley, there used to be at least two or three or four homeless people with their signs. That day I stopped and I gave one of them a certain amount of money. And I went and did my shopping and went home. I don't know, sometimes later, a week later or a couple of weeks later, I went to Trader Joe's again. I went to the same route. I saw the man, same man, sitting there. In my mind, I said, I gave you some last time. And then I went to the shop, and I did my groceries and my chocolate. I just want to bring me up with the chocolate. <laughs> so I came to my car to open the trunk. As I opened the trunk, there right next 
to my shoes the same exact money on the ground. When I saw that money, let me tell you this from the beginning, this is not the way God gives you back your money. <laughs> the truth is that money on the ground was a sharp rebuke from the Lord. It was more like this, get your money and just go, or take your money and go. It's like a big deal you gave some poor man a certain amount of money. When you have experience such as this, and you know the Lord is behind it, just look at the odds. Same place, same person, same amount of money, and here the same amount of money on the ground. You know, when the Lord is behind it, it always brings you to repentance. Right there and then I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't even know why I said that. I'm sorry, forgive me. Then I won't tell you what I did with the money. It's up to you to interpret what I did. That was a sharp rebuke, and that's how the Lord works his people. And in this particular place, teaching you or conforming you to the image of our Lord Jesus. Of course, later on when I was thinking about that, I wasn't thinking about the rebuke. I mean, the rebuke did its work, but when I saw how he loved me, and he didn't want that experience to pass without me seeing what he was doing. I mean, who am I that he loves me? I'm just one of his own. I mean, in him. I'm his child. And he's no partial to anyone. He deals with his own just like this. So the Lord, when he gives you back, sometimes you may know, sometimes you may not recognize. What I'm saying is, you're not going to get a check in the mail saying, from Bank of Heaven. He is so resourceful, he knows how to give you back what you gave. And that's the important side of it, along the way, being conformed to the image of Christ. I mean, what a deal. I'll tell you, if that rich young ruler knew this verse in the Bible, I don't know if he did, it sounded like he's very versed in the Bible, or he didn't know, or he knew, I'm not sure, whether he had the faith that he would sell all his possession, give it to the poor, that God would return all the possessions back to him. Because that's a charitable work. Jesus said, sell you all your possession, give it to the poor. That exactly fits in the category of what our Lord Jesus said and what Proverbs 19.17 says. Just hear the words of Proverbs 19.17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. He's not saying he gives it to the Lord. When the Lord says, this is mine, it's his. He's not going to give it back to you. Here he says, lends to the Lord. And he's not going to be indebted to you. He's going to give your money back. There are places the Bible says, this is mine, the Lord says. A great part of what I'm sharing today is, even if you sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, even though he will bring it back to you, but that will never replace the tithing that we should do. Give as much as you want. Give your whole life. Anything you want is going to come back to you. It's not going to replace your tithing. Malachi chapter 8. I will read from verse 8. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, says the Lord. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. 
if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there may not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Tithing, the Lord says, is mine. You give the 10%, it's the Lord's. He's not going to give you back. What he's going to do, he's going to bless you with the 90%. Otherwise, the 100% is already cursed. Which one would you rather have, the 90% blessed or 100% cursed? That's just one side of the story. On the other side, he says, I will open the windows of heaven. As long as those windows of heaven is open, I mean, I cannot find a more comforting verse in the Bible when it comes to finances than this verse. I would love to have those windows open all the time. Secondly, he says, I will rebuke the devourer that devours your income. Who's the devourer? He's the enemy of our soul. He's the Satan. He's the devil himself. He's going to do his utmost to turn you away from what God has promised. But if you are obeying the Lord and you're doing it by faith, the Lord says, I will rebuke the devourer. That means he will intervene when he comes to devour your... Back then it was the harvest. Today is our income. When it comes to the giving, you need to have a scriptural understanding of where it comes from. Why is it so when the Lord says, it's mine? That's very important. Secondly, when it comes to the giving, first fruits are very important. I will read just one verse. I mean, there's tons of verses in the Bible that I can share with you, but I just chose one from Proverbs 3.19. Verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Vats is just containers. Think of it as barrels. Honor the Lord with your possessions and your first fruits, the increase of your first fruits. How that interprets to us is the increase we receive. Think of it as you're getting a raise. You've been waiting for a raise for a long time. Now you've got the raise. You've got, let's say, $200 raise on your paycheck. That first increase is the Lord's. He says it's mine. Just one time. And why does the Lord do this? You understood about tithing. You understood about charitable deeds. Why does he want the first fruits? He just wants to see how attached you are to your possessions or to your money. Once you give your first fruits, it's just one time, until the next time he will give you more increase. That's how it is. Old Testament, New Testament, I can give you a ton of verses in this direction. I have more I can share with you in this direction of giving. But if you are not going through with these three givings, if you're stuck in one of them or two of them or three of them, you cannot go past these three Anything I share along this line will not mean anything to you. As believers, we need to be a giver. Apostle Paul says, quoting our Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We need to become givers just like the Lord himself. He is a giver. That's his image. That part, in that direction. There's so many of the Lord's virtues that we need to be conformed. But these are the practical side of all that we can be conformed as the Lord works with us. Very important. Your tithing, offering, 
first fruits, and charitable deeds. Most of you know, none of us elders, including myself, get paid for what we do in this church. Of course, you all know. Those who watch from the social media may not know it. What I'm trying to say is this. It is not to our benefit that I'm sharing these things with you. I'm not going to get more paycheck if you give more. Some churches have that. We don't. From the beginning, we have adopted the ministry of Apostle Paul. He always worked with his hand. He was a tent maker. He worked and supplied himself. Yes, the believers also helped them, but always he worked. The reason he says he's doing this, he wanted to preach the gospel without any charge. That means if he was getting paid, it would be an obligation. It would be like a job. He just didn't want that. He didn't want to be obligated to preach the gospel. As it is, he was saying, I'm out of my mind to preach the gospel. Whenever he did it, he wanted to do it freely. Freely give to people, not an obligation. And for some reason or another, I have adapted that from the beginning that I've been ministry, along my brothers, all of us, all four of us. So I'm not speaking these for any benefit for us or even for the church. The Lord is my witness that I've been debating the last two, three weeks that I had this message in my mind. I just didn't want to share this message. Don't want to be redundant speaking in this direction. But the Lord confirming, confirming that you need to go on with this message. Even yesterday, I came home. The garage door was open. My wife was in the garage working. As I opened the door, I came out. I heard the verse, which I read it for you. Exact verse from Matthew 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. I heard that verse as she was listening to the Bible. And I said, Lord, I hear you. Whether I like it or not, I'm going to share this message with the church. What does that tell me? There's a great need in this church in this direction. I'm not saying the church needs anything. No. The Lord always provided for the church. We are always grateful through His grace, always He has blessed us in every direction. But there is a need, individual need. Whenever an opportunity arises to give our charitable deeds, gifts, do it. Be a giver. Don't even analyze who needs it, who doesn't need it. Just do it. Be obedient to the word and do it by faith, and the Lord will give you back. This way, the Lord will take care of everybody who needs it. Don't turn your face away from those who are in need. That's the message. And don't be slacking in your tithes and offering and first fruit because that's your life. The Lord is doing all this work in us and all of these are simple, practical ways we are being conformed to Him. Years ago, in a different church, there was this family that they needed money for food. I mean, they're just so broke. So we decided to give so much money to, to this family this brother saying, why don't we get some groceries and give it to them? I said, why? He said, maybe they want to buy a Coke. I said, what's wrong with a Coke? <laughs> In his mind, Coke was not necessary to drink. By the way, back then I was drinking Coke, Diet Coke. It's been years that I haven't had Coke or soft drink. been 25 years. Back then I was drinking Coke. And he was saying, maybe they go buy Coke. I said, what is that to our business, what they do with the money? If you want to buy a case of Coke, let them have it. What is that to you? You know, these are questions people ask. 
If I give the money, what are they going to do? It's not our business. The Lord says, give to those who are in need or those who ask from you. Don't interrogate them why and what they're going to do with their money. It's not of our business, you see. But give. Be a giver just like our Lord Jesus is. That rebuke, you know, I take it. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Whom he loves, he chastens. That was so overwhelming for me that day when I saw that money on the ground. Amen. Amen.